Amen. Again, glad that you're here today as always every single week. And I say it every week, but I, I truly want to encourage you to, to invite somebody every week. Think about who you can who you can text or call or bring with you every week. We want to see our men lunch, men's lunch continue to grow. Um, we're going to get started today. We're continuing in our, in our Bible study in 1 John, a letter that the Apostle John writes later in his age, later in his ministry, uh, really to correct uh, things that are going on in the church, really false teachings that have come up in the church. Well, today I want us to think about a, a couple things. First off, uh, there are certain words today, there are certain concepts that the world has hijacked Today, Now, what I, what I mean by that, there are certain words today, certain concepts that the world takes those words and really distorts the meaning of those words or changes the meaning of those words. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple examples. The reason that we have this men's power lunch, the reason that we started it, the reason that we continue to invest in it is the idea of manhood today has been hijacked. And when we talk about manhood today, the, the world's definition of a man today is a long way from what I believe the Bible says it is to be a true man. And I, I think in all, uh, all of our culture, the way we're raising our sons today, what we believe and how we act as men today, what we uphold as a man is a long way from what the Bible would say a man is. And so where the world has hijacked the concept or the word of manhood, uh, we want to see what God calls for as a man. And I've said this, and I, I'll continue to say it. The greatest thing that could happen in Vernon, Texas, the greatest thing that could happen in, in my church or your church, the greatest thing that could happen in, in our nation is for men to stand up and actually be the men the man that God has called them, has built them to be. And I think that is, is such a messed up thing. Our wives are suffering, our homes are suffering, our churches are suffering, our nation is in chaos. And the greatest thing is for men to say, this is what God has said it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's one of the words that's been hijacked from us. Another word, another concept is that of success. And today the world says that success looks one way, and we, we know what that is. We, we know that the world says success is acclaim, or says, success is money or things, maybe comfort. Success is power, and, and we uphold that as the idea of success. And we the same way, we start training our kids, and we start raising our sons, saying, you know what, this is what success looks like, and it's going to be measured in your power and in your status and in your, your bank account and the things that you have. And all the while, God says, you know what? Those things are temporary. Those things aren't going to last. Those things are going to pass away. And if, if that's your standard of success, that is no measure of success at all. And so, again, the idea of success has been hijacked. And people today, especially men today, are living their whole lives, their entire lives, with a false definition of success. Let me tell you, nothing could be sadder than for, for us to get all the way to the end. And all of the ups and all the downs and all the things that we pass through the, the course of life, we get married and we, we have kids and we raise kids and the kids leave home and, and we have businesses and we work jobs. Nothing could be sadder than to get all the way to the end and figure out, you know what, that didn't matter. 
You know what, that was wasted. You know what, the kids are gone and this has happened and the money's whatever and maybe I pulled it all the way off but to get all the way to the end and say, you know what, That that was for nothing. That didn't matter. A wrong definition of success, a hijacked definition of success is messing us up today. Well, another word, another concept that the world has hijacked today is the, the word and the concept love. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about today in our men's power. It's the, the, the concept, the idea of love. And just like those other words, just like those other ideas, the world today has hijacked the truth of what biblical love looks like. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Really, the rest of the chapter moves through this subject of biblical love, of God honoring godly love. But we're going to look at today 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let me read those to you, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss them. Here's what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation For our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now let's look at those verses. We're going to work our way through them. It starts off in verse 7 and it says, beloved. That's who this is addressed to, beloved. Now that literally translates one who is loved. And so it's talking about one of us who is held in love. Now, it's talking about divine love. It's talking about God's love for us. And so it says, beloved. Now, it's talking to believers here. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Now, the word for love here is the Greek word agape. And I've said this before, and and, and as we study all these times this this subject of love, we're going to see this again Agape is Christian love. In the New Testament, when we, when we read about love, when we hear about love, it's going to be this word, agape love. This is Christian love. This is New Testament love. Now, let's think about that for just a second. The world's definition of love today, the world says love is an emotion. Love is something that you feel. And maybe you could try to to explain that out. Uh, Maybe it's an intense longing for someone or something. And so that desire, that's that's what we're calling love today. You love someone. You love something. And so it's this emotion that wells up. And maybe it's a desire for someone or something. Now, because of that, the world says that, that love, because it's an emotion, it is something that you could fall into or you can fall out of it. Just like an emotion changes, there's, there's times where you might be violently angry and 20 minutes later you might be happy again or you might be happy and, and 20 minutes later you might fly into a rage or you might be depressed. Just like your emotions change, if this is your definition of love, then love is something that you can fall into. Love is something that you can fall out of. Well, understand this. Agape love, and we need to settle this, is not a thing like that. 
It is not an emotion like that. Agape love is an action. Notice there, love, it is a verb. It is an action. Christian love is not an emotion. Christian love is not something that stirs up inside of us. It's not something we can fall in or fall out of. It is an action. The Greek word literally translates agape. Self-sacrificing service. What is the definition of love? It's this. Self-sacrificing service. It, it literally means to give yourself for another. When you hear the word love in the New Testament, Christian love is to give yourself for another. Now that's an act. That's not a feeling. That's something we do, not something that we feel. It's not something that we experience. It is the giving of yourself for another. So listen, if, if we're walking around and we're basing everything on a feeling, if we're walking through life and we're basing everything on an emotion, uh, we're going we're to get so far off track because those fail us. Those change. It is an action. It is a verb. It is to serve somebody else at your own cost. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, I want to stop right here for just a second. Our world today has no idea, I believe, what that looks like. I believe our world today has no idea what Christian love actually looks like. You see, love is not to like everybody. And that's what we're told. You know, we have to figure out to get all the, the differences put away and we have to start to like everybody. That's not love. Love is not to not disagree with somebody. Well, if we could put all the differences aside and agree on everything. And that's what we start teaching our kids. Tolerance is the greatest virtue. We, don't need, we need, never need to disagree that is not Christian love. Christian love is to serve and to give to some people we don't like. That's Christian love. It's to give and to serve somebody we may disagree with. That's what Christian love is. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. This is a big thing. Here's the deal. Christian love now, see, the world's definitions are going to match up because they're from the world. But Christian love, it is not natural. Christian love, it is not normal. Christian love is not instinctive. Now, lust might be instinctive, a desire for somebody, that might be instinctive. But Christian love is not instinctive. In fact, the opposite is true. Self-promotion, that is natural. Self-preservation. If this is going to cost me, then I self-preservere. That is what is normal, but love, Christian love, is from God. Understand, it's not normal. It's not natural. It is from God. Now, so much so that we can see this. Let me listen. read the rest of verse 7 and verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now this distinction is so heavy, so profound, that this, this is the truth. Love is from God. So listen to this. And so when you see somebody and they have agape love, when you see somebody and they will give themselves for somebody else, it's only because they know God. 
It's only because they are a follower of God. It's only because they have and they possess the love of God. They know the God of love. Now, let me just tell you this. So if they do not love, agape love, if they're not going to self-sacrifice for somebody else, if they do not love, if that's not what they do, if that's not who they are, if that's not what you see when you see them, if they're self-serving and they're self-promoting and they're self-preserving, if that is the pattern of their life, what does the Bible say? They're lost. They're not of God. See, when, when God's in us, that's the type of love that comes out. We always want to know, well, how do we know the truth? How do we know who's false? How do you know who's real? And I meet somebody and you talk to somebody and they say all the right words. How do you know if they're real? Listen to me. If the pattern of their life is not to self-sacrifice, to give themselves for somebody else, if that's not the thing, the fruit that comes out of them, the Bible says this, they don't know our God. For God is love. Watch today, and I, I just, just in this week, watch today. People are mad. People are angry. People are divisive. They're ready to fight. In fact, they, I think they wake up thinking, who, who are we going to fight with today? Who are we going to argue with today? People are, are divisive. They're angry. They're upset. People today are looking to blow up. The other day I went to Wichita Falls, and as I was driving down uh, Kemp Street there, three or four people look like they're just ready to fight. Who's following too close? Who's on my tail? Who just turned in front of me? And then it starts to become contagious. And I'm looking at my wife saying, I know that guy didn't just pull in front of us. We're, we're looking to blow up. We're looking to be mad. You get to the mall and, and somebody pulls up and they're backing out of a spot and I wanted to park up there and we're, we're looking to blow up. And then I, I watched the news this week. Did you see the, the confirmation of the Supreme Court Justice? United States Senators. Hey, and they start heckling and they start heckling and they say somebody else and they got to usher the kids out of the room. United States Senators and this group feeds that group and the press feeds that group and the whole bunch looks like they're going to blow up. Listen, as I watch that today as I see how we act today, how we, how we treat people today. Listen, the answer is not in the President of the United States. The answer is not in the Supreme Court. The answer is not in how we educate our kids to tolerate things. It's not in the teaching of love as the world defines it. The answer is not in tolerance. The only answer we have today is in Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. Our, our nation is doomed unless we have a turning to Jesus Christ. Our town, this little old town, Vernon, is doomed unless there's a turning to Jesus Christ. Our churches today are doomed unless there's a turning to Jesus Christ. The only answer. I like history. The, and I, I, I look at nations and, and, and the past of our history and the world history and one of the things I like to do, I, I did one time, go back and see all of the great empires, all of the great nations, and see how they've fallen. The Roman Empire. Do you know how much intellect went into the Roman Empire, the Roman system of government, the roads they built, the system of rule, the Russian Empire, all the things that went into that, the Ming Dynasty. And you look at all these, all these empires, all these nations, and you wonder, how, do, how are they that strong, that big, that smart, and how do they cease to exist today? And so say, well, they fell into moral decay. Well, the economy, the system of economy they have didn't work out. 
I look at all those systems. You know what broke all those systems? They didn't know Jesus Christ. They didn't follow Jesus Christ. They couldn't self-sacrifice and serve somebody else. And so the world system leads to chaos. The world system leads to the flying apart. The world system leads to divisiveness. The verse ends and it says this, for God is love. Now this is a very profound thing. God defines love. In fact, the Bible says it is him. He is love. Now you can't say that about any, any person else, any, anyone else. His nature is love. Now, now think about this. We do not define love and then apply it to God. That's, that's how our vocabulary works. We define something and then we apply it to somebody. We do not sit around and say, well, love would mean this. We do not define love and then apply it to God. He is love and he reveals it to us. And that's a pretty profound thing. If you want to know what, what, God, what love looks like, you look to God. We're not going to define it and apply it to him. He is it, and so he reveals it to us. And that takes us into verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Manifested means made known. That's, that's what that means. By this, the love of God was made known in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What that means is this, God is love. He is the definition of love. He is the embodiment of he is the truth of love. And he makes it known to us. He makes it known in us in the fact that he sends his only begotten son. And listen very carefully here. The greatest display of love, the greatest revelation of love, what does agape love look like? Is shown to us in Jesus Christ. Listen, we are sinners. You are, I am. We are enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. In our sin, you're an enemy of God. You're opposed to God. You're, you're condemned in your sin. You chose to rebel against God. Well, I fell into sin. No, you walked into sin. You chose to rebel. We chose to enter into sin, and yet God still loves us. God still loves us. Craziest mystery of all time, God still loves us. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, God still loves us. And in his love, defining, revealing his love, he sends his only begotten son. He sends his perfect son, Jesus. The Bible says he becomes the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means covering. That's, it's a pretty complicated understanding, but it's simply, just if you want to make it as basic as you can, it means covering. He is the covering for our sin. God reveals his love and that he sends his only begotten son and he becomes the covering for our sin. Now listen, if we go too quickly here, we're going to miss the depth of that. Think about this today. Agape love is self-sacrificial service. Christian love, agape love, is the giving of self for somebody else, for another. Be very clear. To become the covering of our sin. And doesn't that sound nice? He became the covering of our sin. Listen, to become the covering for our sin, 
Jesus Christ comes. He is perfect. He is holy. He is God himself. He doesn't need anything from us. He comes. He's already worshiped in heaven. He doesn't need anything from us. He comes as the Lamb of God. And he takes on our sin, sin that he hates, sin that he can't stand, sin that he's so intolerant against. He takes on our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 12 says that he, 21 says he became our sin. He who knew no sin becomes our sin. And so listen, the perfect lamb of God, the perfect son of God, he comes and he becomes our sin. And as our sin As our sin, carrying our sin, he carries it to the cross. All of it. Listen, all of it. You've got some sin here nobody knows about, all of it. You've got some sin here that makes you sick to your stomach at night, all of it. All of your sin. He carries that sin to the cross of Calvary. He goes to the cross and he takes the punishment for sin, which is death. He dies. He takes my guilt. And he he takes it to the cross. He takes your guilt and he takes it to the cross. He takes all of the shame of our sin and he takes it and he takes it to the cross. He pays for it himself. He dies my death. He dies your death. Listen, it wasn't his record that was cleaned. It is our record that is cleaned. And then with the payment received, risen from the grave, he offers us his righteousness propitiation, covering for sin. Listen, Jesus gives himself for you. Jesus gives, he gave himself for me. So we get all the way to here today, and here's the question. So what is Christian love? What is Christ-honoring love? It is to say, you know what, I will serve you. It is to say, I will sacrifice for you. It is to say, I will will turn my head and I will set my will aside. I'll set my plan aside. I'll set my hopes aside and I will sacrifice for you. I will give myself of no benefit for myself. I will give myself for you. That's the example of Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. What that means is this. That is our standard as Christians. What about an emotional feeling? That's not our standard. What about lusting and desiring after somebody? That's not our standard. It is to sacrificially give yourself for somebody else. That is our standard as Christians. Let me me make this very personal today. Men, manhood's been robbed from us. Definition's been distorted for us. Love has been robbed from us. The definition has been distorted for us. Listen to me today. To be a biblical man, this is what you do for your kids. You sacrifice for your kids. You give yourself for your kids. You put your kids ahead of yourself. That's Christ-honoring love. Listen to me. This is what's commanded of us for our wives. You want to be a grown man? You want to be a big man? What you do is you give yourself for your wife. You sacrifice yourself for your wife. You build up your wife. You uphold your wife. You say, what my cost, I'll stack it up, baby, but I'm going to sacrifice for you. I will love my wife. That is a grown man. That's what the Bible says, even at your own cost. And that's what we do for one another as Christians. 
I will sacrifice for you. I will serve for you. Will you disagree with me? Listen, I'll outserve you anyway. That is Christian love. If you ever start to wonder how's that ever possible, go back to the cross. No benefit of his own. He goes to the cross and he gives himself for us. That is biblical love and that is a biblical man. Listen to verse 11 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Glad you're here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you're here. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I'm thankful for your love. And really the greatest mystery is why you would love me, why you would love us as sinners, as rebels, as people that have gone our own way, people that have walked off, people that have heaped shame on you. You love us anyway. I'm thankful. I praise God for, for the love of Jesus Christ. Thankful for forgiveness through the cross, through, for restoration through the cross, for hope through the cross. But now I come and I'm thankful for the, the example of the cross. And I pray, pray, number one, first off, there's men here that don't know Christ that today they would be saved. They would put their faith in Christ. But I pray for us here today that are professing faith in Christ that we would begin to exhibit to live, to give Christ-honoring love. And we would give ourselves for our kids, and we would give ourselves for, for our wife, we'd give ourselves for our, our Christian brothers and sisters, that we would pour ourselves out for the glory of Jesus Christ, that others might know him. Lord, I'm thankful that you love us enough to tell us, to not let us wander through this messed up world where they hijack our words, that you give us your word. Lord, I love you, and I praise you, and I worship you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.